Today's TribCast is presented by The Long Center. The Long Center presents Maureen Dowd, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and New York Times op-ed writer, in conversation with Carl Hulse, the Times' chief Washington correspondent on the politics of now. Learn more at thelongcenter.org. And the Boulder Board Training, led by Dan Pallotta, is a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity where board members, executive directors, and staff will come together and realize their greatest potential. Dream big on October 7th and learn more at NotlyVentures.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust? Hi, this is Ben Dominich. I'm the publisher of The Federalist. The best advice that I ever got about work comes from an old J. Walter Thompson memo, which suggested that when you go to lunch, you ought to drink whiskey instead of vodka so that people will know you are drunk rather than think you are stupid. Enjoy this week's TribCast. And now here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on the 27th of September with your Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly podcast about the biggest stories in Texas politics. Uh, I'm joined by drunkard-in-chief Evan Smith. What have you ever seen me finish a beer? It's true. I haven't, actually. You're a pretty pathetic drunk. I nurse that pup, and then I stick it on a catering tray. That's always what happens. (laughs) Drinks it until it's tepid. I'm having a beer. Look. And then I'm, like, distracting everybody while I'm pouring it out. Executive editor and Brown Liquor Bureau Chief Ross Ramsey. Yes, I am. Ross has been hammered, I think, many times in the last eight years. And political reporter and ought to be hammered, Patrick Svitek. <laughs> Good afternoon. Teetotaler. <laughs> Tito's teetotaler? Teetotaler. I mean, I I yes, teetotaler, I think. All right. Well, uh, we all needed to drink and heavily. You, and yet you. Me. Big drinker. Oh, yes. I'm the red wine contingent. Most pictures of your husband this weekend, he looked completely pissed drunk <laughs> that I saw. I think generally that was probably stoned versus drunk. But his mother listens to this TribCast, so we should Man. probably change subjects. Stephanie Click just Too turned right. it off, yeah, right. I think. <laughs> hey, it's almost legal in Texas. Uh, all right. If by not legal. <laughs> yeah, by illegal, you, you mean legal. Oil or not legal. All right. Well, let's exactly. kick off with some uh, top headlines from the Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, let's start, Evan, with your one-on-one with House Speaker Joe Strauss. It was the greatest ever. It was the greatest ever. It was also like standing room only at 830 in the morning. I want to live in a world where people get up at the crack of dawn to come hear Joe Strauss talk about a speaker's race. You it, live in that world. I do. It, it is a nerd fest, isn't it? I had to stand for all of it. <laughs> I, I climbed in the side what, door. Yeah, what'd you pay for your ticket, teetotaler? <laughs> oh, right, exactly. Um, you uh, know, last year the news god smiled upon us at the Tribune Festival and gave us Ted Cruz endorsing Donald Trump the day before we got Cruz on stage. This year I woke to find Phil King under my tree in a nice <laughs> bow. The speaker's race was a, was a gift, and the fact is the... The interview with Strauss would have been interesting and might not have been all that different, but it had a framing device. So uh, this was in, Phil in, King filing the in day the, before. Right, in the person of State Representative Phil King of Weatherford, who announced he was running for Speaker, did so in a three-paragraph statement that did not mention Joe Strauss's name, but in fact Joe Strauss's name was in every sentence, whether it was actually in every sentence. And it didn't actually say he was running for Speaker either. 
Well, what you just said he filed the papers in filed. order to have the conversation. Sadness, not in sadness or not in anger, but sadness, blah, blah, blah. Well, right no, there. I mean, you know, one of the weird things about speakers' races the last few times is that people, you know, get into the race and kind of sniff around, and several of them have not remained there for the vote. Do you around. think he's not and running? He has not said he is running for speaker. He has said he wants to talk yeah, to people about f- it and has to file to do that. But he did file a candidacy. Because you have to do that speaker. in order to have that conversation. So in a technical sense. Right. He's running for speaker. Before we talk a little bit more about no. Strauss. It's a very carefully what worded that, statement. What, what, what does yeah. that mean? He, no, I mean, read his statement. He said, in order to have the conversation about whether to run for speaker, I filed papers. But he did file papers. Like, what's the I Well, mean, the point is. He could decide here's, not to here's the really dis- throw Here's it. the distinction, and it's actually material given where we all think this is going. I think you're going to get this wrong, but try. <laughs> well, Woo, be, he's already <laughs> drinking. Brown liquor Johnny over <laughs> yeah. here is yeah. already going to tell me what in I did coffee. wrong. Um, if you file a candidacy, a, a declaration of candidacy for speaker, you are, in a technical sense, a candidate for speaker. It's not a declaration of candidacy. Well, what it is, is it? papers in order to raise money for and conduct a speaker campaign. So if somebody were to do that at the presidential level, so you if would it's not an, call like that person an a candidate for president? It's no, like we'd call it an exploratory, exploratory committee. Right. Okay. So but, did everybody get it wrong? Well, and he didn't say he's did running for speaker. Did we get it wrong? He didn't say he's running for speaker. No, we, we said he declared himself a candidate for speaker, which he did do. He opened a campaign. He didn't declare himself a <laughs> candidate I'm going to let the two of you have it out after, for the next 20 you, minutes, you and Emily and I will just— this. I want to talk about yeah. Phil King for a second, though. Talk to us—I mean, tell us what kind of potential candidate— Phil King would be. I mean, what's his relationship like with the, you know, the Freedom Caucus? He's a Strauss chairman. What's he is a chairman. Yeah, he was a, you know, he was a Craddock Republican when Tom Craddock uh, was running the House. He was, you know, at the forefront. He was running all of the, um, I can't remember what they called the committee at the time because they kept changing its name, but it was the committee that regulated utilities, phone companies, electric companies. He was in the middle of some really, really big, important legislation. He's been in the House for almost 20 years. Um, he's been watching this stuff carefully since he was a Fort Worth police officer and then a JP. Um, David Barton, who's the guy who started Wall Builders, a former uh, vice chairman of the Texas GOP, is the guy who encouraged him to run for the House in the first place. Someone who he's, disbelieves his, in, uh, his Republican, in the separation of church and state. His Republican bona fides are really, really strong. He's not really a part of the this new wave, the Freedom Caucus, mm-hmm. the Tea Party. But I don't think he's out of line with them. I mean, is he somebody who says, I've been here for 20 years, it's my, you know, it's my turn? No. No, I don't think so. I think he just, I think he's throwing it into the race. A lot of people in the House think that, you know, he's the first of what might be several candidates. Three three to to five additional candidates getting in the race is one, if you kind of listen out in the world, you hear that there are more candidates Mm -hmm. coming. But to Ross's, whether I agree with Ross's characterization or not, whether I'm accurate in my characterization of him as a candidate or not, Touchy. where Ross is heading with this is is potentially true, which is whatever Phil King has announced he, he's doing today, right. he ultimately may never be a candidate for speaker in this sense. Yeah. He could be a blocking back or a stalking horse or some other right. cliche. Yeah. For other people. Getting when it comes to a vote in the House in January 19, he, he may, or may, he may or may not be, on may, or may, not be right. one of the people they're voting on. And, 
an important asterisk to this is that this can this candidacy, if, we, if we've agreed to go with that, is playing, out, is playing out parallel to this conversation within the House Republican Caucus about how to pick the speaker. speaker right. They've The House members have formed a working group. I think they have 30 days to come back with a recommendation or to act on a recommendation or something like that. And there was a, a radio interview that Phil King did on Monday morning uh, with Mark Davis, where even he conceded that the only way to defeat Joe Strauss is to change the speaker selection process. So mm -hmm. he's basically saying, even for me, as a, as a, a speaker candidate, right. again, quote unquote, <laughs> right. it's it's going to take this change. And so, right. even for someone like like him, it's not just you know he he believes that they need to change the process. And Strauss pointed out in the interview with you that uh, they had passed this rule before. That several years ago, the Republican caucus said, "Let's all vote, and then we will vote as a block." And Strauss won the vote, and then 15 of the people who started that movement right. refused to stick with the block. It's he said non, there's no way to enforce the rule. It's non-binding. Right. There are no consequences for breaking the agreement, or the, at least apparently there weren't with the 15. Right. Uh, and then beyond that, it's not yet clear that the caucus is going to vote to change the mechanism to that. Uh, there are members of the Republican caucus who are not Strauss fans who have said quietly, privately, and enthusiastically since Friday, oh, we have the votes. Mm -hmm. We are right. going to change it. I asked the speaker... Every two years, though, yeah, they say that. I asked the speaker... This, I thought, was an interesting item that got passed over quickly, but I thought it was interesting. I heard the speaker say in the interview, if I'm not going to be in leadership, I don't see the point of coming back. Right. You He's, were sitting there. You heard him yeah, say that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The and then I sure. heard him say that, and he went on something else, and then I was like, wait a minute, stop. Did I hear you say like that? I'd be no Tom Craddock, basically. Well, well I guess my Peter point. Me, my right? point was, if you determined between now and the 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 time when you would be up for speaker, that you are not going to be the speaker by virtue of a change in the mechanism in the GOP caucus, which you may disbelieve would ultimately result in what it would appear, which is that somebody other than you I mean, might be. the speaker. He doesn't seem to think he's got a problem. If you determined that you would not be the speaker, would you remove yourself from the ballot? Would you no longer run to be reelected to represent your House seat? Well, or that's how lost, I took it. Or if you lost, would you quit? That's how I took that's it. That's how too. I took it. He right. and then I asked him. I went back and asked him about that. He said, "Well, that's not what I said." And I thought to myself, "No, that's exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. right. That's exactly clear. what you I said." I thought he was pretty clear too. I also yeah. thought this was sort of a different Joe Strauss showing up to play than we've had at different at previous trip fests. I mean, he thought he was like. Jaunty. I thought he was jaunty. I thought he was, you know, he said bring it at one point to the conversation about the, you know, uh, this other speaker challengers. I mean, that's been the story of the, the whole year, I think, for Joe right. Strauss. Right. Yeah. Increasingly candid by his standards, increasingly mm -hmm. defiant by his standards. Mm -hmm. And so I think we definitely saw that come full full circle in the interview. He either he either muffled his voice for eight years or he just finally found it. But I, he's, he's kind of come into it. as Which a, one do as you think a, it is? A, oh, he's kind of come into it as a public personality. Seems much more comfortable stating positions on in public than he than he has before. He's been very anodyne up to this point. Of course, point. the other news was that when asked about his intention to seek office other than the speakership, potentially running for governor, say, he not only did not close the door to it, I'd say he took a Holt cat and he blew a hole through the wall mm -hmm. and left a, an absolute opening for the he possibility. He danced in the doorway. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I, listen... If you, I asked Al Franken on Friday night, do you want to be president? And Al Franken said no. no. Right. And I pointed this out to the speaker that if he had wanted to say no, he would have said no. I said, you could just say, no, I don't want to be president. What he said was, no, I don't want to be Al Franken, which mm -hmm. was funny, yeah. but not an answer. Right. He did not say declaratively, I don't want to be governor. Now, let us step back from that and say the likelihood of Joe Strauss being able to run as a Republican for an office like governor in this political climate 
is uh, it, he could, of course, do it, but the likelihood of success in a Republican primary environment of the sort we've been used to is mm-hmm. it's a pretty low chance. He'd have to change the composition of a Republican electorate. Right. I also do, did think it was interesting, though, he seemed to take a little swipe at the governor, basically saying, you know, the House doesn't work for the governor. Seemed like a well, but that's also Politifact would say that was mostly true. Yes, I mean, right? factual, that's, but that's I factual. think you know, in in response to sort of questions about you know the yeah. the House not sort of ceding to the governor's will. Gentleman's raspberry. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I I thought he did a good job of making his case, and I thought he did a good job of responding to his critics. He's done a good job at one or the other previously. I thought he did a particularly good job of doing them both at the same time this time. Mm-hmm. Well, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on Facebook, uh, please post questions in the comments, and we'll do our best to get to them. Uh, I want to pivot to, Evan, your last conversation of the weekend, or second-to-last conversation, I guess. It was with Cruz and Cornyn. Cornyn, who, by the way, Ross thinks might someday even run for governor. I just I didn't, I, I didn't – I'm not saying he will. I just think, you know, he's positioned to do that. He's you'd have to do the to, math. To and, follow and a Greg Abbott. You'd mm-hmm. have to go six years ahead and assume that Dan Patrick and a number of others would not – he tried said to crowd him out. He said he'll run again in 2020 Did for another he would run in 2020. So he made which, that uh, news. Which I frankly thought was a little surprise. Mostly he, he sat there with a Cheshire cat grin on his face while you and Cruz were sparring <laughs> with each other. It was pretty funny. Mo- I would say Cornyn was, more was sitting like, there with this, you know. I would say more it was like Ted Cruz sparring with Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, calling me Ted Cruz. Cruz in the audience. <laughs> Cruz is sparring with the audience. Yeah, right. Well, Evan, why was this conversation even significant to begin with? The well, for one thing, the, yeah. ra- the, the, the fact that it was a rare opportunity to look at the two of them together in the same physical space. That mm-hmm. does not happen very often. And I think that the, right. the you know, that that itself was was a moment. But beyond that, it was an opportunity to talk about a lot of things that are both immediate in front of all of our fields of vision. Mm-hmm. Harvey would be the, the chief among those. But then beyond that, there are a whole portfolio of issues that are bubbling up in Washington. And, you know, Cruz and Cornyn are not just any two senators in a delegation. You know, most states would be lucky to have one consequential member of the Senate. We right. have two right. for different reasons. And so the opportunity to put these two guys up on stage together, Cornyn representing the the leadership, right, the establishment, Cruz representing the outliers and the insurgents, the people who are bomb throwers and who want to upend the cart. Right. I, I mean, it's, a, it's an opportunity to and, talk and about And you that. saw that. It yeah. just briefly diverge you saw that in the discussion of the Graham Cassidy healthcare bill John Corning goes into full salesman mode as a member right. of leadership right. then you throw it over to Cruz and he's like eh, I'm not so sure. yeah right, right. You know, and, and that was the sort of news that some folks took away I mean I think we were expecting Ted Cruz to make news and I think the newsmaker was actually Cornyn I mean not just that he was running again but that he said he was putting aside his differences I guess he didn't use the word endorse but said what he would support Ted yeah Cruz? he said uh, it was even it seemed even a little uncomfortable for him <laughs> to him to right. say the way he the way he shared the news was he said out that, of body experience yeah. or something. I can't <laughs> he, believe this he, is he happening. He recalled a recent breakfast he had with Cruz and, and where they talked about the need to set aside their differences over tactics, not necessarily policy, and and provide a united front after Hurricane Harvey. And so I think Cornyn said, I don't want there to be any question about whether we're all united, and that's why I told him I'll support his his reelection bid. He kind of sped up the last part of that. Like that know? reception after a shotgun <laughs> wedding. Well, they, they, uh, they, they finally hugged it out, but then when yeah. it came to the end, yeah, the hug out was. 
it turned out that Ted Cruz hugged me. Ah, that almost was, picked you up. It looked like it was, you know, that was something. I could take him. This amazing gift that we had <laughs> yeah. afterward. It's just John Cornyn like laughing while you and Ted Cruz. Hugged. He had a he had a great tweet too. Yes. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That, that yeah. turns out Ted Cruz is a hugger. Right. Well, right. it's hashtag third wheel. I'm gonna have nightmares <laughs> about that hug. Actually, my favorite tweet of the weekend was John Cornyn's tweet about Al Franken. So you Am know, I driving Al Franken. Yeah. So Al Franken said during his conversation with Evan, you know, that he that he could work with um, with John Cornyn, but don't vote for him. And then right. once yeah, that yeah. clip was tweeted, John Cornyn tweeted, hey, uh, you know, Al, you need a ride to the airport. Frank, <laughs> so. Franken's, Franken's crew stuff, let's be it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean. That's it, the easiest interview you ever did in your life. It was like, hey, <laughs> Uncle Al, tell me some stories. <laughs> it was great. It was fun. Meet I mean, you at the Ransom Center. So right. is, has that become a, like a, just a shtick for Franken? I mean, it's in his book. It gets a lot of, of applause lines. Some of it is, yeah. like Austin. Yeah. I, I think he's completely sincere about not liking Cruz. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think it's a laugh line in the sense that it's just like, oh, never mind. We're actually buddies. I'm just using him as a as a right. foil not, or yeah. as a prop. I think he doesn't. I think he actually does not like. It's it. true and shtick. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, any other takeaways from your Har- you know two Harvard yeah. guys going at it is like my that's my definition of fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to see that. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I thought that the whole weekend was was full of of little revelations. I wanted to talk a little bit about Beto O'Rourke. Um. You know, who's you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> well, talk about that. I mean, he got quite emotional. Which conversation was that in where he got so emotional? Well, I was trying to think about something I'd never asked him before in the many times I'd interviewed mm-hmm. him publicly, and I was reflecting on— His bad language? I mean, candidly, <laughs> I was reflecting on the death of my own father this mm-hmm. year, and I was remembering that he has a father who was very significant in El Paso. You right. know from sure. your own El Paso County, roots. County judge. He was, County judge. He was a revered figure by everybody in El Paso. He died in a bicycle I, accident right. at age 58 in mm-hmm. 2001, so a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, because Congressman O'Rourke had been very kind to reach out after my father passed away, I was thinking about him and his own father. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to ask him about his dad. I've never actually asked him about what he took away from the, ex- the experience of watching his dad be a public servant, because he died 16 years ago, but Congressman O'Rourke is now 45, so he was a, an adult right. and got to see him actually in action. And I asked him about his dad, and he and he, he got emotional. Mm-hmm. He broke down, mm-hmm. which is a very human thing. You know, we're not human beings in politics, right? That's the thing. And, and in journalism, we're all just a bunch of robots. And so from the perspective of how he reacted to it, I thought it was a pretty human moment. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad, though, was a pretty significant figure. I mean, that's not in dispute. What's the story behind moving from the sort of sappy stuff to um, what's the story behind the sort of criminal trouble he got into? Sa- in- sa- moving from the sappy <laughs> stuff. All right. Okay, Judge Janine uh, Pirro, let me move on to the other stuff here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what what is the he backstory? Got a, he got a breaking and entering. He hopped a fence when he was— what, When he was how old? Some age. I don't know. I think he was in college. College. Or was at a college. Mm-hmm. He was in New York, right? I, th- I could have sworn to maybe at UTEP. I don't know. Oh, no, no, you're right. No, no, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was in college, although he went to college in New York. Mm-hmm. He hopped a fence at UTEP, you know, and instead of Diana and Alicio giving him a swift kick in right. the ass, instead the right. police took him away. Um, and then he got a DWI. And, but, he, but, the, yeah. but let's be clear, though, that it was a fence hop and that the charge was dismissed against right. him. Yeah, he was never convicted in both that, yeah. I think, and the And the DUI, DUI was when he was 25. Again, he's 45 now. Right. And it was and they, a little and, yeah. bit younger and wilder. Right. And they were used against him in his first congressional race in 2012 when he unseated the uh, longtime incumbent in El Paso. Yeah. yeah, Sylvester Reyes. You know, there was a mugshot and an ad and everything. Um, it hasn't come up yet in the U.S. Senate race. Yeah, do you, I mean, not do you even, think it will come there, up? There isn't even really like a, a whisper campaign yet, right. I don't think. Sure, I do. If the race becomes close enough for Cruz to, you know, 
do anything, it might come up. But, mm-hmm. You know, that's a good distance from where we are. Yeah. I mean, it, in, and, and his explanation was in kind of classic take Beto home to your mother because he's such a sweet guy <laughs> and never says anything he's that might offend her. Right. What he yeah. said was, I fucked up. Right. Uh, yes. You know. But what I thought that we, guy. He's, F, he's got a very yeah. expansive vocabulary. F-bomb. <laughs> yeah. Speaking right. of notable moments from the weekend, though, if you go back to the Cruz interview, this was kind of buried in the other more important news. You know, he, he finally offered in his own voice publicly a line of criticism against O'Rourke before Cruz has been asked about O'Rourke and, you know, just given a, a stock answer. Right, he used a different F word, far left. Yeah, exactly. Right. This right. is the first time I'd heard him ever, I mean, I know it wasn't much, but this is the first time I ever heard him, you know, describe or, or sort of criticize O'Rourke, yeah. allude to him in any way. Um, right. I think it was very purposeful knowing Cruz uh, finally kind of creaking open that door. I mean, you know, there's been fundraising emails against O'Rourke from the Cruz camp. It was the first time that the principal himself, the senator, uh, you know, had actually offered a line of criticism. And, 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 and honestly, the campaign has, as Svitek very correctly noted at the moment that O'Rourke announced for Senate, I think it was your reporting on this, um, the Cruz campaign purchased a Snapchat filter right. that featured an image of O'Rourke being manipulated like a puppet by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and right? O- I mean, we know yeah. where they're heading with this. Right. Well, uh, and, and O'Rourke made some comments this weekend about Nancy Pelosi. Right. And he doesn't necessarily, I mean, we'll see how this stands up in, in a competitive race, but he doesn't necessarily fit into a, a, the, you know, the pro-Pelosi box. Um, the contrary. You know, he voted like... for her leadership challenger last year, supported her leadership challenger last mm-hmm. year. I guess it was, a, it was probably a private vote, but he mm-hmm. came out publicly said, I'm going to support Tim Ryan, who was challenging Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. for minority leader at the time. He said um, this weekend, he, I mean, he doesn't want Pelosi Right, and this weekend he said, and I imagine that in a competitive race, this <laughs> the, the second this sentence here will change. come back to yeah. haunt him in some ways. But he said, I don't want Nancy Pelosi to come to, tex- to Texas to campaign for me. I don't want anyone from outside anyone Texas from to come out, to Texas. Right, so what happens if Barack so, Obama decides right, he wants exactly. to campaign? We talked about that. exactly. Right. Yeah. He just doesn't want national Democrat. Remember when Bill White, um, Bill White was running for governor in 2010, and Barack Obama came to Texas, and Bill White suddenly yeah. had a, right. a burning yeah. need to be in Alvarado right. that day when he right. was coming to wherever he was coming to. There's a long history of de- Texas Democrats who think, as far as I can keep the national Democrats away from me, right. the better. Yeah, I think right. he's, he's pink while you were yeah. out slip, right? Yep. Yeah, I think he's so far done a, a decent job of, of keeping this a, t- a Texas-focused race. He obviously participates in national uh, magazine interviews mm-hmm. and whatever, but you're not seeing him on, you know, MSN. It's, it's okay. MSNBC. Nobody, re- nobody reads Rolling Stone. <laughs> it's fine. He's exactly. going to no, take a I he's like, going to take a page from you know, Will Hurt. I, I bet this, you he's right? getting a lot of calls from you know anybody would love to have an anti-Cruz Democratic voice. Well, I saw today he's talking to Vox, like somebody from Vox. Oh right. I'm okay. about to yeah, interview yeah. Beto O'Rourke. Tweet right. questions at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't that seem like the most Beto O'Rourke thing ever? An interview with Vox. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. An interview with Vice might. Or be it's the, the most, most Beto Vox thing, thing ever. ever. I can't figure out which. Yep. Look, here, here's the other part of this. I think is ultimately going to be significant. The strategy that he's uh, uh, t- uh, taking on, that he, he's concocted, and that he enumerated in what walked up to the edge of excruciating detail, naming every city in the right, state yeah. <laughs> uh, to go to places where Democrats aren't and Sounds to say... like the Route 66 song, yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> I hope you got pie and Dalhart, buddy, because that's all you're going to get, okay? Mm-hmm. I hope the pie was good. Yeah. Um, you know, you go to these places, you say, I'm showing up and I'm going to, you know, ask for your vote. And there is something to that. I mean, it's a reverse of what Greg Abbott did in going into traditionally blue areas in the last governor's race. Work for Ted Cruz against David Dewhurst. Work for Ted Cruz against David Dewhurst. Uh, that the, the the success of of the campaign is in many respects going to hinge on O'Rourke's ability not to collect all the ordinary Democratic votes, but the non-ordinary voters in those communities. And this gets back to a thing that I heard a lot this weekend. If you say to people at a conference like this, especially in Austin, this is a red state, people push back and they go, "No, this is a non-voting state." 
Well, Democrats push back. Well, well, yes, but 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 even <laughs> but even some and I mean Republicans are not questioning whether it's red state, but even some people who are neither Republican nor Democrat well, but are just more. The Democrats always assume that the non-voters are Democrats, bucket. but right. you know I don't think there's any evidence right. of that. I mean, it's not a bad strategy for O'Rourke to be going to those places. It's a question of whether it's a productive mm-hmm. strategy, and right. and that's ultimately. Going well, to at be least good. in the beginning, yeah. if anything, you get glowing media coverage for going to those places. Right. <laughs> you know, you get it's the, the local. It's, yeah. it's the a headline great in every small town paper is "Holy shit, a Democrat came it's here." A, yeah, well, yeah, it's yeah, a great, it's a great free media campaign, as Patrick says. And you know, if you're not going to raise money from PACs, the way you raise money in a race against somebody like Ted Cruz is, you know, you're running against a national candidate who infuriates Democrats in 49 other states who might send a dollar over to help mess with Ted Cruz. I mean, as long as he stays, keeps his that free media Ron, campaign the, the, up. That was, remember, Ron Kirk had that story right. in a New Yorker. Right. About, oh, Ron Kirk is so well-known out, outside of the state. People were so psyched about supporting Ron Kirk, and then ultimately he got the same 42 Just saying, if you're, if you're looking to put something like this together, you've got to raise money somehow, and he says not from PAC, so it's got to be something. And you've got to keep yourself, you've got to build your name. Well, we're about to pivot and have a conversation about the Rainy Day Fund. I know a lot of you have questions about that. They're coming in. Send more via Facebook if you have them. But first, so almost everybody was around this weekend. So where were Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick? At the Tribune Festival? Uh-huh. Uh, Dan Patrick, I'm told, was out of town as he's been to this festival previously. I don't, you know, knock him for that. He's got, mm-hmm. He had business out of state, and mm-hmm. so he wasn't, right. he wasn't available. Um, you'd have to ask the Abbott people where the governor was. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly attempted to at various points. Patrick was at a, a Charles Schwartner re-election fundraiser on Saturday night, hmm. Central Texas. Um, Abbott spoke. So he was in Central timing. Texas? Well, it was in Schwartner. I think Where that's was to it? consider that. Where is Schwartner? Schwartner's next to Georgetown. This is like an Abbott and Costello. <laughs> <Yeah. case>. right. <laughs> it's nearly 33 miles. I don't know. Well, that's, well, that's an interesting fact check. So he was in Schwartner on Saturday night. Uh, yes, Saturday night. My understanding was that he Evan's was going like, to be and knock this chip off my shoulder. There's photographic evidence. Get that chip back up here. My understanding was that he was going to be out of state over the weekend. Oh, guess there's photographic evidence. evidence. I was standing on a street yeah. corner in Mexico City while Sherry Sylvester <laughs> informed Florida, me. Arizona, right? Yeah. Um, right. And then Abbott was at a. He spoke at a uh, North Texas church, North North Richland Hills Baptist Church on Sunday. The morning. governor has repeatedly declined our invitation to appear at the festival. And I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> period. I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Ready to see if that was a hanging comma yes. or Glad <laughs> not, I not, period. Not conversation out there. It's gotten very interesting. Thanks a lot, Emily. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, all right. So speaking of Abbott, uh, at there we had a story yesterday on our site that Abbott basically said the state will not tap the rainy day fund for Harvey relief until 2019. Uh, Abbott also says Turner has quote all the money he needs, and that basically the state has been doing a quick turnaround with reimbursements. So what's the story? Here. So Evan Aluna Castro at the Center for Public Policy Priorities um, had a paper out last week. Glenn Hager and I talked about it, the controller and I talked about it at the at TripFest. And she noted that in previous storms, Ike, Rita, Katrina, and so on, that the state's expenditure had been relatively slight. So in Ike, the state spent something on the order of $315 million. The Fed spent $35 billion. And her point was... These things cost the state some resources, but not necessarily what you would think. What the controller said, and what I think what Abbott is referring to, is you don't need to tap the rainy day fund until you get to the point where Texas needs the money. And what right. they're saying right now is we can speed up some of the money that we have at the back of the budget and spend it now. 
And when the legislature comes in in January of 2019, we can make up whatever gap we have created by hitting the rainy day fund. So you don't need to hit it it right here. Mike Morath said a version of that to me when I interviewed him over the weekend. There's also a big cash flow thing in schools, right? That with regard to the Mm -hmm. public education uh, uh, devastation, and there's been a component of the Harvey effort that has, you know, a certain number of campuses were destroyed, a certain number of school districts are still in the process of getting back online, that rather than... Uh, uh, access the money today, they can move things around and then come back in and fill in the hole later. And that seems like if it's permissible, it's I mean, effectively... The money exists. It's basically... It's spending the rainy day fund. It is spending the rainy day fund, regardless of whether it's now or later. That's right. You're basically is. spending right. against it. It's what you're going to fill the but hole But it's with. setting up a weird political fight because you have Sylvester, Houston, uh, Sylvester Turner in Houston saying, you know, how come we're not spending the rainy day fund if you don't have to wait for the session to start to do it? Abbott saying we don't have to. I mean, there is the messaging on this has been very strange. Well, but we don't also have a really specific what do you how much money do you need and what do you need it for? And, you know, when's the federal money going to come in? I mean, a lot of this falls to the recovery effort and John Sharp and all of that. But you need a list of things to do and a cost on the list of things to do. And then where the money is coming from. Well, let me ask you. I think this will all settle out in 90 days or so. There are a bunch of questions about this on Facebook. Uh, Andrew asks, so does anyone really know which you, like what bank or what accounts hold the rainy day fund? Does it pay interest and could we use the interest? It's the economic stabilization fund. Some of the interest is, uh, some of their ability to invest that is limited. In fact, Glenn Hager has a proposal that failed during the last legislative session to invest some of that money. A portion, and, and, invest a portion of it and get and, a better return. And and get a better return. Yeah. Some of it they're prevented from investing. Uh, at the end of the fiscal year, August 30th, the balance was supposed to be about $10.2 billion. I think it's supposed to be 11.8 or $11.9 billion at the end of the biennium. Mm-hmm. A couple more questions. So Jeff asks, I'm curious on uh, your thoughts on the possibility of the government using budget execution authority to sort of, um, you know, jointly with LBB move funds around within the budget for emergency purposes. They can do some of that, but they have to keep it in the agencies to which it was allotted. I mean, a a lot of this, they'll just speed up and and kind of clean it up, as we were saying, try to clean up whatever they do in January. They have plenty of money to spend right now, plenty of cash to spend, and, you know, they'll just have to clean up the accounting in January 2019. And then finally, I'm, I'm going to butcher this name, but Uyosa, uh, when will we get rid of or repurpose the rainy day fund? It seems like there's no reason to touch it other than during an apocalypse. Good question. Even then. And even then, we basically had right. an apocalypse. Right. Right. Yeah, it, ha- it says rain. It's raining. You know, right. Uh, right. The you Economic know. Stabilization Fund, known commonly as the Death Ray Fund. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, B says, what's the rainy day fund for if not to help Texans after the biggest rainy day well, in Texas history? Well, 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 it will Sylvester be. tweeted yeah. today, it's like the rainiest day ever, right? Well, the, th- the thing is, I think it... <laughs> People, some people on, in this debate seem to be talking past each other at this right. point. Oh, you think? <laughs> I don't know. Really? Yeah. Hot take. News there. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, some people are... Read my poem. Yeah, yeah. Read my poem. The, the way that you hear some people talk about it, you, you would assume that they think that no one wants to touch the rainy day fund, right. when clearly the issue is, is when we touch the rainy day fund. All, the big three have all said no special session, but we, we, we are open to touching the rainy day fund somewhere down the line. Right. Uh, you know, Abbott has explicitly said, you know, that the appropriate time is the next session. Um but, you know, the way you hear some people tell it, it it's almost as if, you know. Well, yeah, also, this right. is the one thing that's becoming politicized, but I don't really understand. I mean, I, what I need to hear basically from Houston or from Sylvester Turner is what have we asked the governor for that we haven't gotten? Right. You know, I mean, because the governor says basically I'm ready to write you checks within 10 days, reimburse you for any invoice you send me. Right. So right. if and, that's not happening. And the other argument on the rainy day fund is, you know, you'll hear people say, I have heard people say, you probably have too, 
if we had used the rainy day fund last time you wanted us to, we wouldn't have any money now to solve this. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Stickland said that when D- Gene Dan Wu when, when, when Gene yeah. Wu wrote the uh, piece for us asking that the rainy day fund be used not long after Harvey, Jonathan Stickland from Bedford, representative uh, Republican representative from Bedford, uh, tweeted at Wu, well, if you had had your way, you would have drained a damn thing, you know, for... Yeah, you know, for five times over in the past, and but well, that's yeah. true, but irrelevant. Dan Patrick has said, "Thank God the the Senate held the line on the on the rainy day fund during the session." It's so, two yeah. consecutive sessions, honestly, in which the the people who were conservative spenders of money were able to come back afterwards and say, "Told you so." The first right. time was because the price of oil dropped, and it looked like a smart decision to have more money uh, held to the side. Right. All right, well, that's all the time we have. If you like listening to the TribCast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. And get your head examined. Yes, that too. <laughs> Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Trib's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs, as always, for our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Oh yeah. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Hello, hello, hello. One, two, three, I hate Todd. <laughs>